Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. The, you know, the fundamental fact, this is Eugene Peterson from the message, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. So I said last week, you know, it's like the substance, it's the tools that we use when we believe something, but we're not there yet. But because we believe it, We've taken a step toward it. And the fact that we've taken a step toward it is proof that we believe it and that we're headed that way. Next week, we'll celebrate uh, next Monday. Following Monday, we'll celebrate uh, Martin Luther King Day. And Dr. King certainly knew something about faith. And one of the things he said is this. Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Where would we be? If Dr. King had not taken the first step, not knowing. He thought he saw it out there, but he wasn't there yet. So faith is taking the first step. And I think of it kind of like this this morning, probably in here. Uh, And I think this is true of all of our services. People come in who uh, are friends of maybe a member of the church or someone who attends here. And you're not sold. You're just not sold on uh, if God is real. You're not sold on whether Jesus is who he said he was. But for some reason you came. For some reason you got out of bed and it was good and warm today. And uh, you stepped out and you went, I'm going to go. And maybe you've even been two or three times to this church or another church. But you have taken a step. Now you're here. Maybe you're suspicious or you have some questions of things. But I want you to know something. That took a little faith for you to get out and to come. You're expressing a bit of faith in the fact that you would even investigate whether this whole thing we call about following Jesus is true or not. I think everyone has a certain amount of faith. Um, I, some of you know that I debate with a couple of uh, atheists on Twitter and I have been for a few years now with atheists. And I read this quote the other day, which I passed on to my good friend, my Twitter bud, Uh, And this is from the German author Heinrich Boll from his uh, novel, The Clown. And uh, here's the quote. Atheists bore me because all they ever talk about is God. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, Heinrich, he wasn't a believer. He's probably an existentialist at most. But, uh, uh, you know, my my friend that I talk with so much and I really do like him. and, And he treats me respectfully. And we have a great discussion Uh, But I I told him one time, I'm like, man, you talk about God as much as I do. I mean, you talk about not believing in him as much as I talk about believing him. I'm like, I don't go around talking about the flying spaghetti monster. You know, I don't. I just don't talk about it because I don't believe in it. And why would I talk about it? And uh, I said, do you realize how much energy and how much faith it takes for you every day to start tweeting stuff about not believing in God? 
you bring up the very person, the very one that you don't believe in, which gives energy to the next step to investigate. So I think God has allowed us all to have a certain measure of faith. I think that's evidence of God's love for us. It's his wooing. It's his care for us in that even in our seeking, even in our our hunting it down, wanting to see beyond the first step, really. Like if you can show me, Tim, if you can show me the top of the landing of the stairs, I'll believe it. But yet God brought you to a place where you took the first step by even being here or being in a conversation or maybe reading a book. So when I recognize that is maybe God's work in you and him giving you that grace and that mercy to take a step. Years ago, down the street a ways, uh, I received a phone call from a young guy, and he said, Hey, Tim, can you come to so-and-so's house? Uh, I've got some kids there who need to know about God. And I said, Well, why don't you tell them about God? And he says, Well, I don't think I can answer their questions. And I said, What makes you think I can answer their questions? He says, I don't know. I just know I can't. (laughs) And uh, I said, okay, you know, I'll come over. I was expecting three or four people. Let's gather in a room. Let's have a great little discussion. And as I drove up 17 and and I got to near the place, there were cars up and down 17. And I went, surely this is not, you know, not this few kids gathered in this house. And, and I pulled in the house and the whole, you know, the whole lot was filled with cars. And I walked in the back through the kitchen And there were kids in the kitchen. There were kids in the dining room, like three and four deep in the dining room. There were kids, two kids in the bathroom. Had their heads, don't ask me about that. But they had their heads, you know, uh, you know, had their heads stuck out of the bathroom. There were four or five deep in a living room. And I just walked through the house and they were all just sitting there with their eyes this big. And I said, man, what, what haven't you? You know, he said, no, no, that's all yours, all yours, you know. I mean, you know, he had enough to get him there. He got him there. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to pull the Billy Graham because, uh, you know, I've got this huge amount of people, which I, it was over 100 kids. And uh, that was a lot, a lot of kids in, in, in a house. And so I said, I'll just do the Billy Graham thing. The buses will wait, you know, bow, you close your eyes, bow your head. And, uh, and before I, I did that, one little kid on the front row, I'd see, I was like this, kitchen here, den here, dining area here, bathroom behind me. So everybody's peering in. And the little kid right in the front says, hey, 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 hey. And I said, what? He said, got a question. I said, what? He said, what's the difference in Jesus and Buddha? Now, remember, I'm like maybe been a Christian for like three years. So I just discovered there was a difference in a Baptist and a Buddhist. So, I mean, um, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't mean to slam on the Baptist. I just mean I didn't know. Don't take that wrong, you know, because everybody's been a Baptist once. And, uh, and it's a good thing. Uh, but, but I thought, well, how am I going to answer this? I don't know how to answer this. And I, I felt like all of us, this voice just came to me and said, ask him this. And so I went, well, then why are you here? And he went, I just started crying. You're right. God brought me here. You're right. You're right. It was that step of faith, that one step of faith that got that young middle schooler to step from his house that evening and make his way with the rest of his skaters and his surfer buddies to this house 
where he wanted to hear something. But see, God was already working. He had already experienced some faith in the fact that he stepped into that room. So faith has been given to all of us in some way because God is always wooing all of us. I believe that. He loves every one of us and he loves us enough to put that in us, to pull us toward himself. So we're looking at this launch of daring faith and what we can expect. We're going to be over in Joshua, the first chapter this morning. Every time I thought about someone taking a step of faith, I thought about Joshua, uh, Joshua, excuse me, and uh, a young man who, well, he wasn't so young probably at this stage, but he journeyed with Moses through the whole, you know, through the desert all those years. Most likely he came, he was in Egypt as a slave as well, and he had seen everything that Moses had done coming across for those 40 years across the desert. And now he had been told a couple of times in this journey, I've, I've got leadership on you. At one point in the Old Testament, it says the spirit of leadership was on Joshua. And then in another time, Moses lays his hand on Joshua. And it says the spirit of God came on Joshua. So in another time, uh, Moses and Aaron have been to the tent of meeting. The tent where God met with them. And Joshua had been with them. And I love this, I love this phrase. Moses leaves And Aaron leave the tent, but it says, but Joshua stayed. And so God was dealing with Joshua through all of his life, through all of this, until it came to the point where Moses was about to pass from the scene. And God is calling Joshua to lead Israel on into the promised land. What kind of step of faith will that be? And so that's where we're going to join him in the first chapter and in the third verse as God talks to this man, Joshua, and I'll pray. Let's read this. And this is in your handout, by the way. There's a fill-in inside the handout, and the scriptures are there for you. And there'll be four fill-ins, and you should have received a pen as well. Joshua 1, verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates. All the Hittite country. Uh, P.S. Insert right here. Hittite country. This is, I just read this. Okay, I got to pass this on for you, uh, you theologians here. There's been no proof that there was a Hittite society until just a little bit ago. And they discovered archaeological digs where there were digs saying to the Hittite uh, society and country. So it's not over yet. They're still digging, all right? They're still finding things that build up this book. So here it is. All the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one would be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Uh, Help me and my weakness, Lord, and uh, my very much limitations, God. Give me the gift of teaching. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and breathe life and teach us and lead us and grow our faith, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So what can we expect? What can we expect from this journey? Uh, By the way, we have books for this, Daring Faith books out in the lobby that you can buy. We have more than 20 small groups that have formed around this. There's a DVD series that works with this for the next six weeks. If you want to start a group, you can start a group, pick up your resource material, get two or three people, and let's all journey together over the next seven weeks, and let's see what God does. What can we expect? One of the things I believe we can expect, because we see this many times when people or a person steps out in faith, and that is we We'll see some miracles. That's your first fill-in. To see miracles. And God tells Joshua in Joshua 1.5, As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Well, Joshua had seen it. As I mentioned earlier, Joshua had walked with Moses. He'd seen the manna. He'd seen the quail come in. He'd seen that their sandals didn't wear out. He had seen the miracles. He had journeyed. He had been on Mount Sinai with Moses when he came down. And remember, they were, had fallen back into idolatry. And that was Joshua that said, what's that? You know, Moses said, what's that sound that I hear? And uh, so Joshua had seen how God had been faithful to Moses. And so as he steps into this brand new journey for him, he is being reminded, God is reminding him that I'm going to do some supernatural things among you. I'm going to be there with you. And uh, I don't think it's going to be any different for us. I feel like as we step out in this journey, that God is going to show himself to be right there with us. We're going to see some, I think, I think some of you guys are going to get healed through this process as faith grows in this church. I think some of you are going to get promotions on the job. I believe that. I think some that want to be pregnant, I believe, are going to get pregnant who haven't been able to. That as our faith grows and as we grow together in this, things are going to happen. I believe there are going to be interventions in our lives in such ways that we've never seen it before because that's what I see every time God calls a people to step out in faith. I want to recommend to you a book, and this just happened across my path two days ago. I just happened to see it, and I kind of collect books with the title Miracles uh, because of my discussions with some of my atheist friends who don't believe in miracles. And so I picked this up, and it's by a wonderful man, Eric Metaxas. And Eric has spoken to the prayer breakfast with the president, with Congress, and he's written some wonderful books. And this book, the first part of it, deals with science and the miracle of earth. It's really a fascinating read. But as you get on into it, he begins to chronicle miracles that he has seen in his friends' lives. And I just want to, t- I want to tell you one about a couple named Paul and Lisa. Paul was a very successful lawyer on Wall Street. Lisa was an attractive, very successful business lady on her own part. They had a wonderful family. They had a four-year-old, and very shortly, they would have a new baby. And so uh, they had moved from England over to New York with their job, with their work, with his work. And Paul was going after, you know, the American dream. He wanted to take care of his family. Like many, many men, we believe that to be the epitome of the perfect husband is to just supply things, right? And uh, so he said, if I work hard and I make a lot of money, then I'm being the best husband I can be. And so he would get up 
way early before his kids would awake. And he would work all day long, very hard. And then he would come home after they were in bed very late. And of course, he was so spent from working that he had no time for Lisa. Their marriage began to go downhill. But about the same time, they met this group of people that were Christians. Some of them were engineers and they were lawyers. And there were different people around Wall Street and New York. And Paul got invited into a group. A group that met to pray and to be there for one another for their marriages. That they would pray for one another. Well, Paul shared with these guys. He said, my marriage is not doing good. My my wife is not happy. And so they began to pray and they helped Paul develop a way to love his wife. uh, And hopefully reach out to her. And Lisa moved a little bit. But what Paul didn't see was she had so much anger in her. So much anger and resentment and unforgiveness for the way things had been. Because she had seemingly been so just disregarded. And uh, that didn't pop out at first. But as we all know, it will come out eventually. (laughs) And sure enough, even though they were making headway, at least Paul thought. Matter of fact, they even had a celebration for Paul and Lisa's marriage at one of the homes. And they threw a party because they thought they were doing so well. But shortly after that, Lisa told Paul, look, I'm very unhappy. I don't like our marriage. I don't know that I can do this anymore. Paul continued to pray. There's a lot that goes into this story, but you've got to get the book. But this, I'm going to give you the gist of it. And this is a new book, by the way. It's not an old book. Just put out a year ago. Uh, and so he continues to pray. And one guy asked him, he says, Have you ever prayed over your house and asked Jesus to come into every room in your house? And he says, That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. What do you mean? I'm all for studying the Bible and stuff, but that's a little, you know, a little weird. Well, at the same time that his friend was speaking to him about Scripture and about inviting Jesus into his home, Lisa told him she wanted a divorce. And so Paul decided, you know what? I'm not going to fight her, but I'm also not going to help her. I'm not moving out of the house. I'm going to continue to be here for my kids. I'm going to continue to pray for my marriage. One day the doorbell rang and their five-year-old son went to the front door to answer it. And someone from the judge from the uh, police department or whoever serves them was served the divorce papers to their five-year-old son. Put them in his hand. And so their son walked, when the dad got home, walked over to his dad and put the divorce papers in his father's hands. Well, this crushed Paul. Paul began to weep and cry. And ask for God to help. And then he thought, you know, I haven't done this. I've done the scripture. I've looked at scripture and I've prayed over this, but I have not asked Jesus. What do I have to lose? I just got served the divorce papers. The guy told him, he said, go outside your house and whatever door you walk into, open the door and ask Jesus to come in. Wall Street lawyer successfully, he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He goes to the side door. That's the door they use there in the city to come in most of the time. And he stood outside and he closed his eyes to pray. And when he closed his eyes to pray, this huge light began to fill his perception, just glowing. And he opened his eyes and it was gone. And he says, oh my goodness. He closed his eyes again and this huge light. And he said, I knew it was Christ. I knew it was Jesus. So he opened the door, and Jesus walked in the door. He said he could not see it unless he closed his eyes. He walked through his entire home, up downstairs and upstairs with his eyes closed, following 
Jesus. And he said every room, he could see the arms go up in the room of Jesus as Jesus prayed over every room in his home. He went upstairs. He followed him upstairs. He came downstairs and finally ended up in his home office. And he said he went and sat behind his desk where he just lost it and said, did I just see what I thought I saw? Is this for real? And then he said, out of nowhere again, just this blazing light came up and this assurance that God was indeed in his home now. Just overwhelmed him to the point that the only thing he could do is fall out of his chair at his desk on his face before God and weep and worship. Well, during this period of time, Lisa is like, she's a mess. She gets up and she goes to work out. That's the way she dealt with her stress, right? She's working out. She like goes from one class to the next, just trying to build herself up. She goes to make a presentation on the job. She can't keep her words together. Worst presentation she's ever done. She gets in her car. She starts to weep. She goes, what is going on with me? She goes, I've got to go. I'm going to work out again. So she goes to another place to work out. She's on the exercise bike. Pedaling away as hard as she can, about to break into tears. Got her earbuds in, listening, and all of a sudden, white light right in front of her as she closes her eyes. And she said it was like Jesus was hanging on the cross with the sun behind it. And for the first time in her life, she realized that Jesus didn't just die for the whole world, but Jesus died for her. For her. For her particularly and personally. And she just fell apart weeping. She ran to her car. She was only 15 minutes from her house. And she began to cry out, Jesus, save me. And then just as quickly as she said that, she said, Jesus, save my marriage. Well, it's 12 years since then. And they're still together. They're very happy. And uh, their children, well, they're, they're teenagers now. Since that, Eric mentions that. He said, I met with them, and this is just a year ago. I met with them to make sure and get the story right before I wrote about it. And he says, how do you explain something like that? You cannot tell Paul and you cannot tell Lisa that God does not do miracles. Because Paul took a step of faith, right? He took a step of faith to be with his friends, to pray. He had scripture that he stood on and that he believed He asked Jesus to come into his house to be a part of every room and every part of his family. Lisa still, one piece of the puzzle is that Lisa was looking too and there were people steadily coming across her path until she had this encounter with Christ. I believe we're going to see, we're going to see some miracles. Some of you are going to have stories to tell because every time we step out in faith, just like Joshua, he will see miracles as well. We're going to see them. So your first one is, what can we expect? To see miracles. Secondly, we can expect to grow spiritually. To grow spiritually. 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 Yeah. Three services, I start babbling like a lunatic. Um, Look in Joshua 1, verses 7 through 8. That you may be successful wherever you go. You will be prosperous and successful. There is nothing more successful than for a follower of Jesus to grow up in Christ. To become the mature follower that he always wanted us to be. Don't you want that for your kids? I mean, you know, you don't, well, you don't want your kids hanging around forever. You know, you want them to come and visit you. And you want them to get on to the mission they're on, right? 
onto their part of life. And God has that for us. When we grow up spiritually, we're on to our mission in life. God has called us. And part of that spiritual maturity is that we grow up and we can handle the things that come at us in life. The things that used to knock us off our horse as far as our faith goes and set us back. Now are another step. Yeah, it hurts to get knocked down. But as we grow spiritually, we get back up and we go again. Because we have grown up enough to know that's part of life. So we grow spiritually. We grow in believing that God is who he said he is. We grow in our ability to be able to walk together. And, uh, and to grow out of just, just coming to a meeting. You know, to have a great meeting. How about we have great meaning? That when we leave from here and we leave our small groups, we go out into this world with great meaning. God has called us into mission. I mean, you started your eternal walk the day you came to Christ. That's the, you started it. That's your walk. So we just walk it out here on mission with him now. Coming to a meeting is not mission. Coming to a meeting is, is not growing up. That might be part of it, but it's getting on mission with Christ. And so as we step out in faith in certain areas, I believe we're going to grow spiritually. 1 Peter 2 Two through three says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I believe in this six week series, we're going to taste more and more that the Lord is good. Thirdly, and I hate to tell you this. Your third feeling is what else to expect is to be hassled by Satan. Yep. You know, there's a reason God told Joshua, be strong and courageous like six times. One time he said, and very courageous. <laughs> you know, when somebody tells you that, it's because you're going to need to be that, right? Because that means you're going to face some adversity. And Jesus told us, you know, that the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy to take away from us. When he's talking about like the parable of the sower and the seed had been dropped, he said that Satan comes to steal the word away from us. That is God's will, what he's talked to us about. Like today, you know, he's going to attack to take this away, that God has any great expectation of you being on mission with him. I can't believe that. He'll come and try to rob you of that. Some of us, you know, we're going to find ourselves uh, probably having to go through some loss. We're going to experience some loss. Maybe your car will break down in Walmart parking lot. I mean, you know, just know, don't, don't say, well, I thought this was going to be all good. Just going to, Tim warned us about this. The bad guy is going to be bugging us. He's going to be out to try to kill, steal, and destroy and take what God has given us. And the faith that you feel, that pulling toward him, and when you step into it, it is a battle at times. And you will have to fight a battle. But you know what? Greater is he, Right? That is in you than he that is in the world. In Romans 16, 20, Paul told that church, he said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. The God of peace. You know what I like about that verse? Is we get all nervous when things start going wrong, don't we? When we, we feel like we're being attacked or we're going to lose something, we get just so nervous and we start burning energy, we start burning effort, we start wasting all kinds of time and energy. 
But when we walk with Jesus and when we grow up in Jesus, there's a place that you can, you can calm down where the peace of God can come and you can crush Satan under your feet. There's that calmness, that quietness. I watch these videos on how to hold your breath, you know, surfers and stuff. And so I'm watching, I'm watching Laird Hamilton and some of them and people are holding their breath for five minutes and all. And uh, his wife says, when you hold your breath, you have to find peace. You don't want to be moving around too much because every bit of movement robs you of oxygen. So when the God of peace comes in the midst of this, God's people don't get, yeah, we're going to do. You know, it's like allow the God of peace to come, to settle in, so that your actions and your next step of faith will be one that will have a return of beauty to it. And you won't waste your breath. He's going to come. He's going to attack us. He's going to try to rob. He's going to try to make life miserable. And when we hit those points, the God of peace will come. And you will crush Satan under your feet. So, see, the place just went, gosh, it was so good before we got to that one. Man, the first two were great, weren't they? That one's just not that great. But listen, the fourth one, here's the fourth one, what we can expect. Yes, we can expect some miracles. We can expect to grow spiritually. We can expect to be hassled by Satan. But fourthly, we will, I believe this, we can expect to experience joy. We can expect to experience joy. In Romans 14, 17, and 15, 13, we read this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, there's that, remember? Hope, there's the faith, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Him, there's faith, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all of His work in us. There is much joy to be uh, experienced in this walk as we head out. Look around this room. You know, these are, this is your tribal members here and partners in this walk and battle and also in the celebration of joy. I expect our worship services just to grow in fervor, in joy and happiness of knowing that God has invited every one of us into a mission of faith and stepping out and making a difference in our world. And joy will be the results of it. And when we started the sermon this morning, I asked, what does faith mean to you? What does it mean to you this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you the person on the first step like you came in here? And that was your step and you didn't even realize it to now that, wow, why did I come? (laughs) What is God doing in me? Did he wooed me and had me make a step into this place? Your first step is to respond to that, to say, okay, God, okay, Jesus. I'll take the first step because you've, you've taken me here. I can't see the top of the stairs, but I know this step will lead to the next one. So I take the step of faith and I trust my life to you. I want to begin my mission with you. Can we pray? We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.